your automatic that Easter the vow in the past. Draw me a picture of Easter. What picture would you draw? See, the funny thing about Easter is that Jesus left the marketing campaign wide open. <laughs> like, he left it wide open. You know, we can make about whatever we want to make it about. But in the next three weeks, over Easter, I want to think three ways that Jesus did just that. He left it empty. He left it open. He left a space for us to ponder and to maybe create, sometimes project what we think it's about. But is that what it's really about? I'm going to ask you to turn with me the Gospel of John, and you push the slide in the back for me because I can't do it right now. Um, John 19, verse 30. So we're going to start today. John 19, verse 30. This is the idea that Jesus left an empty cross at Easter. I want to think about that today. Chapter 19, verse 30 of the Gospel of John. I'm going to read that verse. And I'm going to read around a little bit more. I'm going to talk about that verse. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And you're like, hey, spoiler alert. That's the end of the, I know it. Right? Look at 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. You might remember that earlier in the crucifixion, immediately upon being crucified, they offered him a drink and he refused it. But now that the time was completed, in order that scripture might be fulfilled on purpose, on the cross, Jesus said the words, I am thirsty. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked the sponge, and they put it on the end of a stick, and they held it up to Jesus, and they touched his lips. Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. This is the Easter story. That in that moment, Jesus finished the work. Jesus left the cross empty in His death. I want you to understand that, right? I mean, if you think about it, and if you, if you know, almost any church you go to, I, I won't say almost, some don't do this on purpose, that's fine, not, but there's a cross. For many of us, we have crosses on things. He left it empty in death. Some people might say, well, now, wait a minute, he's still on the cross because then the guy comes and takes his body down. But that's right. They take his body down. But Jesus has left it empty in his death. He's left the cross empty. He is finished. Lots of things that we could say here, but isn't it interesting that everything that needed to be done was done. There was no more work to do. The things that he had been set upon, the things that he had been 
focused on, the things that he'd been called to come to earth to do, the very reason, listen to me, that he was sent to earth was done. And he said it. It is finished. It's over. I'm out of here. It's done. No more striving. No more struggling, you know. No more suffering. No more misinterpretation of a king versus a suffering servant. No more being hated or spat upon. No more. It's done. He's finished. And in that moment, listen, the cross hangs empty. He says the words, it is finished. And then what? He bows his head. You know, I mean, many times we think, what does that mean? You know, just think about what it means that in the moment of Easter, like high holy sacrifice, Easter, Passover, this grand moment, in that moment, many of us have this idea that he just kind of melted, right? Just, you know, just he expired. You know what I mean? Like you can't hold your head up anymore. He, he can't. But listen to the word. It says, he bowed his head. Listen to the intention. He bowed his head. He, he didn't just fade away. You know, he bowed his head in the moment. It is finished. Everything that needed to be done was done. And in the moment, you say, now wait, that's resignation, right? He's just too tired anymore. He's like, it's finished. No. In that moment of absolute obedience to God and the purpose of his call, in that moment, Jesus intentionally bowed his head. That's what the word says. Why? What would you say? He just can't do anymore. He's all out of gas. Jesus came in full submission to the Father. Indeed, in full submission to his call. He bows his head. Seemed to me, this is a moment of reverence, of respect, of acknowledging what must be done and having done it to submit. Isn't that wild? Not to cling and cry or hang on or plead or hold, but to go. It's the ultimate manifestation in physical form of the prayer he prayed, which is not my will, but yours. Be done. There's one more thing I want to talk about here, and then I want to move. It says, then what? He bowed his head, and that was it? No, then he gave up his spirit. <laughs> he gave up his spirit. He released the spirit. He sent the spirit. He was done. He was finished in the work. And the word says, in that moment, he bowed his head, and he gave up his Spirit. Again, the words were intentional. It's not passive. It's not resignation. He gave it up. He gave up the Spirit. The very empowering Spirit of God. Listen, the very Spirit that He had always known. He gave up on the cross. And left it empty. We think about that moment, you know? Crucifixion. We think about that moment... Jesus on the cross, the Son of God, 
Son of Man. And we go, how much meaning can be packed into it? Like, like how much can be happening? We are stunned by that. But in this moment, it's empty. It's done. The Spirit has been sent, released. See, the crazy thing is, the cross stands empty on Good Friday. I want us to back up before this. I want us to see something else. Jesus was called to an empty cross. He left the cross empty, but he was called to it when it was empty. I want you to see with me, look at 19 verse 16, just right up ahead of where you're reading. Check it out. Finally, the word says, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. You'll know, we just talked about this as a church, the reason it says finally is because it had been brutal to the moment. But after much delay and much him hawing around, finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Fair enough. Look, so the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Boy, Golgotha is a better name than place of the skull, isn't it? Like if you're going to make it sound pretty, you know, Golgotha sounds better than place of the skull. Okay, we're going to come back to that. And here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. The call to an empty cross says in verse 17, he carried his own cross. It says in verse 18, one on each side, Jesus in the middle. There he was crucified. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, having been threatened and condemned to die by religious leaders, is now in the hands of the state He's not sure how the trial is going to come out. And there becomes a moment where he looks and they say, that is your cross. That one. You see what the word says? He carried his cross. He didn't carry a cross or the cross. He carried his cross. I was meditating on that and I thought, See, it's all fine in theory. Yes, I must die. Yes, this must happen. But there comes a moment where he sees the physical manifestation that on this cross you will die. This is the one. Now drag it to the place of the skull. It's empty. What is that saying? This space available? You ever seen that? You could be here too. And here... He sees his cross. He's called to it. Jeannie was saying earlier, he heads toward trouble. Yeah, right? He sees it coming, but he takes it. It's my cross. I'm going to bear it. And he carries it to the place of the skull. It is funny to me that there's a place called place of the skull. I bet you, you know, there's lots of theories about why it was named Place of the Skull, you know? Like, uh, it looked like a skull, and it's like, oh, the hill kind of looked like a skull, so they go, oh, it's the Place of the Skull, let's go to the Place of the Skull. I would argue, I would speculate, I would think that perhaps you would call it the Place of the Skull because people died there. 
You don't go there to hang out, have a good time. It's a place where people are killed, where they are um, sacrificed, where they are laid bare for the world to see. Matter of fact, you'll remember, it's a crossroads where everyone can come and see the terror before them. But Jesus, carrying his cross, went out to the place of the skull. And there they crucified him. Now check this out again. With two others, each on one side and Jesus in the middle. That imagery we've seen before with Easter. Yeah? Three crosses. Why? Why not? Right? Three crosses. Three people. Three deaths. This is the story of Easter. And there they crucified him. Here they crucified Jesus. I want to hang one more thought on this. Do you think it felt different for the other two being crucified? Do you think that all the emotion or all the fear or all the hope or all the anxiety or all the desperation was there for them when they saw their own cross? Or can you imagine seeing yours and saying, that's my cross? Never mind the fact that this is a, they're not the same. But can you imagine? Can you imagine having your own custom cross to die on? It might surprise you to know that Jesus calls us to an empty cross. Right? Many times we'll put this in the front of the sanctuary, we'll hang it on our neck, we'll put it on our rings. We'll put it up in our homes. We'll proudly put it on our cars. But do you know that that isn't just a sign that Jesus died on the cross, but that we are called to a cross? Do you know that's true? Check it out with me. This is in the Gospel of Mark. Let's see if I can push here. Yeah. Chapter 8. So turn there if you would. Chapter 8, verse 34 of the Gospel of Mark. You've probably heard this before. This won't be new to you. But I want to remind you of the words that Jesus shared. Verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, this is Jesus, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He gives more instruction, but that's how he starts. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, Take up his cross and follow me. First question I have is, who is he talking to? Anyone. Anyone. Many times in life, we'll talk about the gospel being for anyone. Whosoever should believe, right, will have eternal life. That is the truth of the gospel, absolutely. And so is the call of the gospel. Anyone who would come after me. Anyone. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Bible, what it actually says is he called the crowds to him along with the disciples. So he wasn't just saying, hey, disciples, if you want to come after me, pick up your cross and follow me. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, hey, y'all, if you want to come after me, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Anyone, the crowd, the disciples, if you want to be after Jesus, he says, this is how you do it. And what does he say? If anyone come after me, he must 
pick up his cross. Must. See, I think a lot of times we feel like this is optional. This is an opt-in program of Christianity. I don't have to bear a burden. I don't have to have a custom cross. I don't have to do that stuff. That's not what it's about, right? Jesus did that stuff, man. I'm not called to any of those responsibilities. I'm just, I'm just called uh, to believe, right? I just, that's, that's it. And he says, no, if you're going to come after me, you must pick up your cross. Look at what the word says. If you're going to come after me, you must Deny yourself. Take up a cross. That cross. Any cross. Do you see it? <laughs> no. If you're going to come after me, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your custom cross. And you're going to follow me. You're going to bear it. Look at what the word says. He must deny himself and bear his cross. And by the way, this isn't gender specific. So this is y'all, the crowds. You guys are called to carry your cross and follow Jesus. That's what's being said here. Now, what's interesting about this is this happens before Jesus is crucified. <laughs> you know? So you go, what? Are you sure? You know what this comes on the heels of right here? Jesus saying, the Son of Man must be betrayed and must be killed and in three days will rise. That's the gospel. And he was so offensive to the disciples that Peter, like the muckety-muck disciple, comes and goes, Jesus, this can't be true. I'm not going to let this happen. No way are you going to die. And the next thing he says after rebuking Peter and saying, you don't know what the gospel's about, right? After rebuking Peter, what Jesus says is, if anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's a mandatory part of belonging to Jesus. Not only does he not let Peter off the hook with his own death, not I mean Peter's death, I mean Jesus' death, right? Peter's like so holy he's offended for God, you know, like, that ain't going to happen, not on my watch, you know. Not only is that not stopped but jesus doubles down he goes not only that but if anyone's going to follow me this is what's going to happen you're going to take up your cross you're going to deny yourself and you're going to follow me that will be the call look the crowds and disciples if anyone would come after me he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me follow him where right Follow him to what end? One final stop. It's easy to screw this up and, and be like, you know what then? Yes. I'm going to suffer for Jesus. <laughs> um, God's going to be so pleased with my suffering. You know, um, I'm going to pay the price, right? Like I'm going to be holy and obedient. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do better. I'm going to work more. I'm going to follow, you know, I'm going to do this thing. And uh, I got this, I got this, I got this. Leave me alone, I got this, right? which is the wrong understanding. Because what he says is, when you do this, when you do this cross-bearing, <laughs> when you do this denying, when you do this obedience thing, you, you just, we just follow Jesus. That's all we do, right? We're going to follow him where he's going. Here's the last thought I want to share with you today. This is from the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew 27, verse 50. You want to turn there. and We're going to be finished here today. See, not only does Jesus leave the cross empty, not only is he called to an empty cross, not only does he call his disciples to an empty cross, right? Um, but ultimately, the empty cross of Christ 
has huge effect. Look at Matthew's gospel. Chapter 27, verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. We heard that before, right? Intentional moment. He gave it up. The cross is empty. But I want you to see the power, and this is not to be confused, the power of the death of Jesus Christ. Because as much as we can conflate it and say, look, it's like the, it's like the thieves, it's like the disciples, it's like us, you know, we're called to bear a cross. I want us to absolutely tremble at the magnificent glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. I want to marvel at the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ, the empty cross. Verse 50, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Did you even know that was in the Bible? <laughs> that at the moment of his death, at that moment, the scriptures say, some big things happened. This became a sign and a wonder to people. This is no ordinary death at Golgotha, no ordinary death on the place of the skull. In the moment, uh, several things happened. I want to unpack them just for a sec, right? First of all, it says that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. I'm not going to get into a whole dissertation here. It's easy to do. But listen, there was a place in Jerusalem where you worshiped God called the Holy of Holies. It was the place where only priests could go. Only sanctified people, the best believers, no one else. And I'm using the word believer there in like the sense of the religion, right? They believed that they were doing God's religious duty. They were, they were serving God. And, and they could go in there and, you know, like... Not very often. Like once a year, you go in there, one dude, right, and try to please God. He could just, just hope to make it out alive. But nobody else. And there was courtyards outside of that. And the further you were from God, the further away you were from the temple, like the further away from the curtain of holiness, you weren't allowed to go back there anymore. And the scriptures say that in the moment, in the moment of his death, and don't miss it, the curtain was torn in half, divided in two pieces. But not only that, the curtain was torn from what? Top to bottom. Split open. And the revelation of God, the power of God was revealed. This was no ordinary man on an ordinary cross. I'll tell you one thing we have a tendency to do at Easter. We have a tendency to look at the suffering of Jesus and we have a tendency, oh, what a tragedy. That poor man, he didn't deserve it. He was innocent. Those things are true, but he's the son of God. It's not just that he was a good dude who didn't deserve to die. He was God in the flesh that was sent to save his people and he had come to do the work. This is the work he said is finished. And upon completion, after he had sent his spirit, he had given up his spirit, the temple courts ripped open. That's the first thing. Allowing what? Access to the holy of holies, man. Hebrews makes a point of this. They say it is through the, the, the curtain of his flesh that we enter in, right? His death on the cross. But look at what it says next. The earth trembled. <laughs> the whole place began to shake. 
This isn't like, oh man, what a sad day. Jesus died. It's like, oh my God, what just happened? Like even disciples, even the crowd, everyone around, the centurion standing guard around Jesus had just been mocking him and spitting on him. All of a sudden, the place began to quake and shake, and this is not an ordinary death. It says the earth began to shake or to tremble. Third thing, rocks burst open. <laughs> You might go, that's just a manifestation of like an earthquake or something, right? That's what's bursting open rocks, you know? Interesting, right? You might say, well, it was a cliff or it fell off some, you know. Think about a rock that would just spontaneously explode. <laughs> Such a little detail, but you think about it. What does the word say? Will the rocks not cry out if you won't praise me? You think God needs us to praise him? The whole creation praises God. We're just invited to participate. <laughs> Says the rocks split. They broke open. This, I just want you to think about that for a minute, right? Like, it's not just like there's an earthquake, but they're like, you know, and you're like, what's happening? It's a reasonable question to ask. Check it out. The tombs broke open. Many of you will know the tombs were in the ground. They were catacombs. They were, they were kind of caves, if you will. And they began to crack open, right? Well, yeah, everything, all the other rocks are breaking open. But then look, the bodies of many of the holy people, or another way you can say it is, the bodies of many of the saints who had died were raised to life. Like, everything matters there. The body of the saints who had died were raised to life, hear it, at the death of Jesus Christ. Many of us will quickly say, well, yes, we know there'll be resurrection someday, somewhere, someone will experience. Listen, the moment he died, many, not all it says, but many of the saints who had died were raised to life. You ever think about that? See, many times you say, well, next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, right? Next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Listen, the moment Jesus died was Resurrection Day. The moment he died, bodies were raised. Then it says what after that? They came out of the tombs. They didn't stay there no more. They ain't hanging around in this place. <laughs> they were raised to life and they came out of the tombs. Now one caveat, right? They don't go to the holy city until resurrection. Do you see that in the text? It says after his resurrection. But everything to that point we can believe happens instantaneously upon the death of Jesus Christ. Whoa, what? What are they waiting for? I mean, why not just run right to the holy city and go, look, we're alive. <laughs> God redeemed us. <laughs> it's true. Resurrected bodies. Because they're waiting for Jesus. Huh. You don't go ahead of your king. You don't. You don't go ahead of your king. I say that to say this. While we ought to acknowledge that we are called to an empty cross, it's a symbol. It's a symbol of suffering, of hope. Uh, it's uniquely crafted for us. Don't think we're going to have that kind of effect. We ought to tremble. Why do all the churches get together on Good Friday? Because it matters. It matters. 
It's not an ordinary death and an ordinary day. It's the Son of God that changed everything. So we're invited to be in awe. Awe. And I'll just say this, man, with all of running around, I just want to encourage you to reflect on that a little bit. Maybe there's some things I said today, you're like, I don't even agree with that. That's crazy talk. I want you to think about it in your own life. Just think about it. Consider the cross. Why? Does it matter? Does it matter that it's empty? Does it matter that he died? Does it matter he left it empty? Like, why? Are we just looking for a symbol? Or is it something more than that? I want you to pray with me um, that God would do his work in all of our lives. It says what? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, for this day, we thank you so much and for the truth of your scripture, for the power of the Easter, Father. Would you burn that into our hearts? I mean, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you form our minds to be so wrapped around the glory of what you have done, the glory of what Jesus did, that we could be intoxicated by nothing else. That we say, oh yeah, that's nice, that's nice, but look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Father, you have done a magnificent work that is done once and for all. Father, I, I pray for a two, two, two-sided prayer, Lord. One is that if we're in this room and we still think we can do this on our own, we got this, we're going to be a good enough person, that you would just break down that lie in our lives and we would say we are not holy without you. We need your cross, Father. We need your cross that we might be free to have unfettered access to you. And so, Father, if that's a lie some of, are believing, some of us are believing here today, I pray that you would just, you know, disarm it. You would just, just lay it bare for the lie that it is. And then for many of us who have a tendency to believe a culture that says, you know, hey, life should be easy, man. It should be good. We would listen to your gospel again, and we would look at your cross, and we would listen to your call and say, okay, we're going to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow you. Not because we believe um, that we're getting special points or anything with you, or, but just that we might have life. That we might find true life through the unique cross that you're calling us to. Help us do that work, Father, for your glory. Help us be ready for Easter as it comes. May you be glorified as your people celebrate you. You are worthy to be celebrated alone. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.